0: These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to Episode 115 of the Headspace and Timing Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about a documentary, Almost Sunrise, with one of the veterans featured in the movie, Tom Voss. Tom is an Army veteran who struggled with his own reactions to returning home from combat and decided to walk off the war with a friend.
1: When my uh, platoon sergeant was killed in action, I was I was given the day off, and I wasn't there. For years and years, I beat myself up about why did he die and why didn't I? You know, he had a family. I didn't. I deserved to die. He didn't. These types of feelings I, I harbored in myself, and it would just be like a real plane over and over and over again in my head. You know, what could I have done differently if I was out there? That was a, a big one for me that I really tried to tackle when I was walking across the country and really process that. Before we kick off the interview, I'd like to bring you
0: a quick message from Dr. Barbara Van Dalen, founder and president of Given Hour about an event that's coming up June 9th through the 15th.
2: I'm Dr. Barbara Van Dalen, founder and president of Given an Hour and the Campaign to Change Direction. We want everyone to join us the second week of June for a week to change direction and the Change Direction Jam. Together, we're changing the culture of mental health. Events during the week can happen anywhere and everywhere. We're so excited to work with IBM to create this global discussion. Mark your calendar, register, and join us to Change Direction. Go to changedirection.org. That's changedirection.org to learn more.
0: Here at Headspace and Timing, you will be joining Give an Hour during that week. The podcast episode that week will be with Dr. Van Dalen, and that week's blog post is going to focus on the campaign to change direction. Longtime listeners will know that our mission is to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health, and the Campaign to Change Direction is doing exactly that. Make sure to check them out at changedirection.org. Welcome to the Headspace and Timing Podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Headspace and Timing podcast once again. And as always, really appreciate you taking the time to listen and learn about veteran mental health. Um, I, I always say that I'm excited when I have uh, guests on the show. Uh, and again, I really am excited to have today's guest on the show. Uh, you know that we often have mental health providers, uh, we often have veterans, um, and and occasionally we have had movie stars, uh, of which um, today's guest is arguably one of those. Uh, so uh, today. Today's guest is uh, Tom Voss from the documentary Almost Sunrise. Tom, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, as, as we've been talking, um, I'm a big fan. We, we actually had a screening of Almost Sunrise here in Colorado Springs. Uh, you've been doing a lot of work um, on the movie. And, and, and definitely um, a, a big um, theme about that is moral injury, and we'll get into that. But I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
1: Sure. A little bit about myself. I served in the United States Army from 2003 to 2006 uh, as an infantry soldier. So I deployed to Mosul, Iraq from 2004 to 2005. Um, So while I was deployed, uh, my platoon sergeant was killed in action. My squad leader was killed in action. Um, You know, we had a a pretty rough, rough go of it. over that time, so that really had an impact on me. So when I when I came back from my time uh, from active duty, I was pretty I was pretty lost, and I was pretty uh, you know I struggled a lot to even comprehend kind of what I experienced over there. You know, I joined when I was nineteen, got out when I was twenty one. So you know, you really compare yourself when you get back to a lot of your friends and a lot of your peers, and at that time. My friends were already graduating college, so I felt like I had to play catch-up, so I had to get my own apartment, I had to get my own job, I had to get uh, enrolled in school, and like I really uh, tried to dive into life again without really uh, taking a step back to kind of process what I had experienced during war. Um, So... Years go by of just struggling. So I found myself in this cycle of uh, being okay for a while and then crashing and burning and then picking myself up and then getting back to it and then crashing. You know, I just kept doing this over and over and over again until finally I got to the point of where I I really couldn't stand, um, you know, being with myself or being alive. So I thought uh, at that time and, and really started contemplating suicide. So as part of a deal I made with myself, it was, um, you know, I really needed to give effort and give everything a shot to really try to get better. And um, that was kind of the deal that I made. I'm like, I'm not going to kill myself until I really give in the effort to try and heal myself and try to like all the different therapies that I can to really, you know, put in that effort. So part of that was Um, taking the time to be with myself and process a lot of the stuff that I went through. So that ended up being um, walking across the country. So myself and another Iraq War veteran, we left from Wisconsin and walked uh, around 2,700 miles to California uh, by foot with uh, just rucksacks and and really uh, in an effort to really process and comprehend uh, the impact of war.
0: Yeah, that's, uh, this idea of walking off the ward, right? You know, and, and it was, uh, big. I, maybe I don't see it as much now and, and some different things are happening, but, um, a buddy of mine, Jay Knight, did a, a, bike ride across the U.S. the other way, I think from the East Coast, um, out to, uh, out to Washington, I think. Um, I, I remember seeing a guy who was doing stand up paddle boarding from Texas to D.C., right? So there's this idea of, you know, Forrest Gump, right? I, I'm just, I'm just going to keep running. I'm just going to, and in some ways I'm going to work some things out. Um, right. Why do you think that has, or, or, or maybe even for you, why did that have more of an allure than, than maybe just, you know, sticking around your town?
1: So I think the process of it, or at least my thinking behind it was that we're just bombarded these days with so many things that we can distract ourselves with, whether it's, you know walking around with music in or your earbuds in or your phone or the computer or tv you know there's so many opportunities for me to be like nah I don't want to I don't want to look at that stuff I don't want to look at that side of me I don't want to deal with it because it's stressful Um, it brings up a lot of um, you know uncomfortable feelings Um, so I'm just gonna you know Binge watches a uh, series on Netflix. So th- there are so many opportunities, and I, I recognize that. And one of the uh, one of the things that my buddy Anthony and I agreed upon was when we're walking, we're not going to listen to music, and we're not going to be you know using our phones, and and um, to the extent that that we you know used to, um, and that really allows you to be with yourself. It really allows you to process things um to really sit with them and be with them and look at them um from your own perspective and I think that is what everyone is going for so you know whatever the activity is whether it's paddleboarding whether it's walking whether it's biking you know you it's just you and yourself and um you know for some people that's really really uh scary to be there
0: yeah. And like you said, even anything, I was um, listening to another colleague of mine and he had a buddy that, um, you know, wrote a, a, a motorcycle journey from the tip of Alaska all the way down to South America. Like apparently there's this road, like you can, yeah. you go know, around the world or halfway around the world, it's the same kind of thing, right? If you're on a, a bike and you're not really able to do anything, but be in the moment and, and really focus on what's going on. Um, and, and so this was ten years after you had gotten out, right? And and so um, you said you had tried other therapies or things. What things just weren't working for you?
1: Yeah. So so I tried uh, you know your traditional talk therapies like EMDR. Um, uh, you know, going out and uh, peer support was a big one that that really kind of helped me as well. But um, what I ended up realizing was. I wasn't doing these things for me. You know, I was going to the VA because my family wanted me to get help. You know, and I was like, okay, well, I'll just go and check it out and see how it goes. And, you know, you go through these therapy sessions. But then I, I realized as I'm walking, there's a the difference between the walk and going to therapy was I was doing the walk for myself because I wanted to heal. You know, I got to a point where I was just like, Man, I can't take this anymore. Like, I can't live like this, so I need to do something to heal myself. And the other, the other therapies were, you know, trying to appease other people and being like, okay, well, I'll just give this a shot because I feel like it's what other people want me to do. And I think when you make that shift of this is for me versus this is what other people expect of me or what they want me to do or what I feel society thinks I should be doing, there's a, there's a complete shift uh, that happens, I think. In, in those situations.
0: You know, that's, uh, that's exactly right. I think there's a difference between, you know, getting thrown in the pool, learn how to swim. If you don't learn yeah. how, want to learn how to swim, you're just going to you know sink <laughs> to the bottom. I mean, obviously, to, totally. In, and so there does have to be some buy-in, you know, and again, I even commend you to say, I'm going to try everything because as you well know, and I know that a lot of veterans don't get to that point, they think they've tried everything. Um, right. and so this was, uh, uh, this was a pretty drastic um, effort to to just say you know this was it and and I need to to do something about this, so so how did the the documentary come about um, along with the walk?
1: Yeah, so the the documentary kind of happened. Um, uh, an independent film um, production company approached Anthony and I because they saw a Kickstarter that we had. Uh, you know we were raising money to kind of cover our bills as we were gone and. You know, we said we're going to do this awareness campaign for veterans' issues. Uh, we want to, you know, use ourselves as an example of, you know, what's going on in the in the veterans' community and how, you know, veterans and their families are are suffering in silence. Um, so we were able to raise some money to co- cover our bills for the five month walk, and um, just so happened that this this um, production company saw our Kickstarter and reached out, and they're like you know we think this might be a, there might be a story here and we'd be interested in uh coming out and following you so right away you know Anthony and I were you know that's like red flag for us because we know that a lot of veterans um you know are used as political props and you know for other people's um you know whatever motives that they have that they want to you know look like they're patriotic by supporting veterans but then don't in the end so that's you know it's really uh clear clear to us so we were very kind of apprehensive at first of letting a a film crew come with us because one we thought it you know could potentially take away from our our own experience if you have you know cameras in your face the whole time Um, but we we sat down and kind of actually it's funny we kind of turned the tables on them and started interviewing them you know it's like what are your intentions because you never know how you know someone's going to edit uh things and you know over five months they could have made it you know, any way they wanted to. But I feel really fortunate that um, we did end up with a really good um, production company, a real good independent production company that um, really ended up caring about veterans issues and really wanting to make it known that, um, you know, veterans are, are going through tough times. Yeah, and, you know, and
0: and I get this idea of, you know, if we don't do this, then maybe this is a story um, that maybe other veterans need to hear. This is one of the things right. that when veterans step forward to talk about their own mental health journey, yeah, it's uncomfortable. But the idea that supports them is like, yeah, but if, if what I say can help even one of my brothers or sisters, then, you know, then maybe it'll all be worth it. My discomfort will be worth it.
1: Totally. That's that's totally the mentality. And, um, you know, we got – some blowback from, from, you know, you always have, you know, fringe, uh, people, you know, giving you a hard time uh, online about it, but, you know, in the end we created it to, um, you know, use our own stories as an example. And I always say, you know, my story isn't the story. It is one story, you know, of many. And I, I feel like there's a lot of veterans that have gone through way worse, uh, than what I have experienced. But I feel that like, we need to really support each other in this community and really come out and have open and honest conversations about what we're going through. Because, um, you know, for so long, I felt that so isolated and so that I was the only one going through this because I didn't have anyone else to connect to. And that was not the case at all. And I I think it's really important as veterans, um, that we really need to reach out to each other and share these stories, not only for each other to help each other heal, but for uh, educating the general public about what war is like. Um, so we can really, really um, make better decisions about uh, going to war in the first place.
0: No, I'm I'm right there with you as I've. Uh... I've said and I've written before, I hate war as only a warrior can, right? You know, I think Eisenhower might have said it first, but uh, those of us who saw it firsthand know the cost and, and uh, would prefer not to pass that along. Yeah. It, one of the things about um about the film is is you focused a lot on the, the concept of moral injury and I've talked about it here on the show. It is something separate from PTSD, right? You know is as well as I know, whenever you say combat veteran, the first thing that comes to somebody's mind is the PTSD. Right. Um, but but helping to develop the awareness around this this other concept um, called moral injury. Um, as we talked briefly before we started, it is a, a focus of what I do as a clinician. I've had others individuals on the show. Um, Dr. Sheeran McGinn, uh, Dr. Joseph Courier, Ed Tick came on the show to talk about, um, you know, how, how military service and compact changes the way that we think and talk about what's right and wrong. Um, right. but I'd like to hear your take on moral injury and sort of how you came to, um, how you learned about it, how you came to the concept and and what your understanding of it is.
1: Yeah. So as as far as I know, the the definition is um, when you witness or participate in something that goes against your own moral belief or your own moral structure. Um, So I uh, came across that concept after after the walk, it was a, actually a David Wood article. I don't know if you've read any of his stuff, but um, he has a great three-part three series uh, on Huffington. He has a, ended up being a Huffington Post article, and it was a great three-part series on moral injury, the concept of it, and, um, you know, how it impacts a veterans coming home. So that was the first article that I ever read about it. And it really clicked with me because it's, you know, I got diagnosed with post-traumatic stress disorder in 2008. So it, um, it didn't really resonate with me though, because it's like, okay, like I have these symptoms in this symptom cluster and I fit the, I fit the bill, but like, I don't, I don't feel that way, uh, inside. Yes, I had these symptoms, but there's something more to it. And this was, Um, building an understanding of moral injury and okay uh, you're in a combat zone and whatever is um, right and wrong back home that's all out the window right and now we have uh, these other rules to play by and you witness and you participate and you see what happens in war and then you come home and then you're thinking okay what did I participate in? Was I justified in doing this? You know, and, and also a really good example too is, is getting orders um, or not getting orders. This example that, that I like to use that my buddy Anthony experienced on his deployment was that he was going out on a mission and they were getting mortared. So he stopped Uh, The convoy had to stop before the, you know, be, so they couldn't go out while they're getting mortared. Um, after, they left their gate. They saw a bunch of civilians that were injured on the ground. And he asked his commander, he's like, are we going to stop and render aid? And the commander said no. So he's like, I don't know what happened to these people. I don't know if they all died on the on the street. I don't know, you know, what's going on. But for him, he's like, we should have stopped and helped. You know, we should have stopped and helped these civilians who were injured. So that's the kind of conflict that happens, you know, over and over again in in a combat zone. So you really... Uh, don't really have time to process it too much in that situation because, um, you know, you're you're on 24-7 and you're moving and you're on to the next mission. And you, but when you come home, you have time to reflect and stop. And, you know, is that the type of person I am? Um, you know, w- what kind of person am I now? So it's like you look at the concept of like moral scaffolding, you know, moral injury kind of reduces <laughs> your moral structure to the ground and You have to really sit back and think, now, what kind of person am I? What kind of person do I want to be? Um, Is that who I am or who I was? And a lot of these questions cause a lot of conflict, internal conflict.
0: You know, I hear from veterans, and and yes, um, there's that about themselves, but it leads to distrust distrust because they say, well, if, if that could make me do that, that other person over there, they could also, you know, do horrible things because we know we know that humans can do horrible things and now I don't trust anybody cuz anybody can do that. Right.
1: Right. And and even um I'll give an example of something that I experienced um you know we had a uh we had a situation where a truck was closing in on our on our convoy and you know we had to render we went through the whole you know ROE rules of engagement and then ended up having to engage the windshield because he just would not stop and he was barreling down in a dump truck. So anyways, you know, this guy ended up with two sucking chest wounds. And, you know, we were trying to render aid to him. Um, He was not a threat. He just didn't stop. And um, my platoon sergeant at that time walked up and just looked at him. He's like, are we done here? You know, as we were trying to, like, save this guy's life. So, you know, for me, I'm just like, man, like, how, you know, how cold (laughs) of a reaction. You know, we're supposed to be... Here, you know, not not only, you know, fighting, but also helping, you know, the civilian population as well, at least from my point of view, um, wherever we could, um, when it was possible. So that for me, you know, is, it still sticks with me today that someone could, you know, see someone in the process of dying and, um, you know, another human being and just be like, you know, can we can we get on with it already? <laughs> so that's another one.
0: Right. You know, and, and, and yes, there are those, um, uh, very, very large. I mean, and those, those aren't even the biggest ones, right? You know, um, sure. I, I usually talk about, um, you know, back in 2011, uh, you know, the, the videos of the Marines that were desecrating the, the enemy remains, right? You know, and, <laughs> and everything that, you know, that, that they were urinating and they filmed it and they put it online and all this other thing that, when I talk to veterans, they don't say, I'm okay with that, but they say, I understand how they got to that place in their head sure. at that moment if these guys had just taken the lives of their, you know. So um, those are the very, you know, high end, the egregious, the the Abu Ghraibs and the My back in Vietnam. Um, right. But then you have these, and they're not mundane, they're not every day um but you also have the the lower level moral injuries and in the fact that there were no stop signs in Afghanistan there's no speed limits there's no one way street and right. so if you're operating and you, you said this before the rules that were in you know back home go out the window if you're operating in a land of different rules and laws, and now you have to come back to a nation where you have to stand behind the little old lady in the checkout line, right in the checkout, that you're used to operating in a different way. And so it's like your, your sense of right and wrong could be knocked off on a bunch of different levels.
1: Right. And on top of that, too, there's like um, kind of this, this disdain, I think, uh, for the ignorance of war. I think in the in the civilian population. So I feel like there's a lot of like resentment that uh, I had experienced this and, you know, now I'm standing behind someone in line complaining about their coffee not being hot enough. You know, it's like, it's not the reality of what's going on in the world. So that I think there's some resentment as well that um, some veterans hold on to, where it's like, you guys have no idea, you know, what's going on in the world. And you have this, you know, the, the term ignorance is blessed, right? It, it's just like, you know, there's a, you know, at least for me, it's like, you know, I had to experience this and now I have to like you know, sit in a college class with eighteen-year-olds talking about the Iraq War, like, "Oh my God, I'm going crazy." <laughs> so, well,
0: yeah, and and there's that idea of uh, we open our eyes to to arguably what is more important. This is another thing. You know, veterans yeah. will will think on a more global scale because we are um, exposed to different cultures, um, right. and then you know, arguably ignorance is, is wrong. And then we have opened our eyes to a right thing. And that's not necessarily a moral injury, but it does have, um, moral frustration.
1: Totally. Yeah, I agree with you.
0: And so you you had mentioned before that you had been diagnosed with PTSD, but it didn't really ring well or, or sit well with you. And I've heard this before. I actually had a guest on the show, David Smith. He was a Marine, Fallujah, I believe, because they usually were in Fallujah. That's pretty much where they were. But uh dave was uh on the rooftop and it was night and there was a raid and um there somebody came through the alley where they shouldn't be he gave the challenge and password they didn't respond so he took a shot turned out to be another marine horrible Mm -hmm. right and he um the, the guy survived and and they they um you know um they passed it up later right but As he and I were talking about this, he was like, it was the same thing. I, everybody had told me it was all PTSD, PTSD, PTSD until I heard this term moral injury. And that's when the light bulb went off. It wasn't that I shot him. It was that I shot him. Right. And so I'm interested to hear how, how that shifted for you when you, when you learned about moral injury, how that, how that became to say, yes, that was that what I'm going through.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think the, Post-traumatic stress disorder is is so is so clinical that it really I feel it like kind of takes the the humanity out of out of the experience. So um, you know, also I don't think you can medicate moral injury. So it's, it 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 manifests as grief, guilt, shame, um, these types of things. You can't you know wipe away with antidepressants or anti-anxiety medications or sleeping pills or you know all the things that I was. I was put on so I think the beginning of it was when I was on all these medications and and there was still an underlying something's there right so I'm like okay these you know this is not medication is not working for me so um I think once I kind of read about the concept and I was like uh okay so this this makes more sense to me because um, at least for me, personally, I was raised Catholic, so a lot of, um, you know, the, the underlying, the very first thing you're taught is it's not okay to kill someone or take another life. So right out of, right out of the gate, you know, you make that connection with like, okay, well, that's something I had to do or, you know, something I had to see or something I had to do in uh, a combat zone. So, you know, how do I process that or, or how do I how do I even begin to forgive myself, um, for the things that I've seen and the things that I've participated in and the things that I've done. So I think that, um, when, once I started gaining an understanding of moral injury and, uh, really applying it to my situations, I think it gives a, um, a more depth to, um, our situations as veterans and, uh, trauma in general. So I think moral injury and post-traumatic stress can occur at the same time, and I think they run parallel. And I think that, at least for me in my situation, it was like the post-traumatic stress symptoms happened, you know, started manifesting two years into getting home, um, you know, destroying relationships, you know, abusing alcohol, um, you know panic attacks flashbacks these types of things and I think that is due to a conditioning that we experience in war right we're in heightened sense of danger pretty much 24/7 for a year straight it's hard to kind of turn that off but I think at the same time when you come home and then you start processing you know okay what did what happened what actually happened you know what kind of situations what were I was I in um, that's when you the moral injury, I think starts to surface. And I think as time goes on, post-traumatic stress kind of lessens, not that it, not that it goes away and not that it, you know, gets better or that you're quote unquote healed from it. But I just think they kind of flip flop to where now, now I'm really processing, um, on a moral level, what, what, what did I participate in and what did I do, not only as a person, but, you know, in my community. And here's another thing that really um, that I think is a pretty big conflict is a lot of veterans come home and they're they're greeted as heroes. But I didn't feel like a hero at all, really, when I came home. I'm like, I, I went there to do my job and the job you know, that we had to do was, you know, you know, pretty grimy and we you know, we're out there, we're (laughs) kicking in doors, all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, that for me, that didn't really meet the definition of hero. And now I have, you know, you have your community kind of putting you on this pedestal of being a hero, and you might not necessarily feel that way.
0: Again, this idea of what I believe to be true and what others believe to be true around me, they don't connect. And that, that right. is really, it's, it's this, you know, the moral compass, right? You know, and, right. and, and my true north on my moral compass and veterans' true north on their moral compass, um, is, is changed by their experience. Um, I don't know how you grew up, but when I was 17 years old, it wasn't okay to point a gun at somebody's face and tell them what to do. Then, yeah. you know, when you go to war, that becomes expected that you point a gun at somebody's face and tell them what to do. And now you have to come back um, and, and not be that way. Um, it's something that you had said about PTSD being clinical. You're absolutely right. There is a list of, of diagnostic criteria as if we would diagnose diabetes. There is a list of criteria. And I, as a clinician, I recognize that. And, and, and there is a, there's a code in a book somewhere that says you have this and there is medication for it. Uh, but that's not the case with other aspects of, of veteran mental health and especially uh, moral injury. Mm -hmm. Um, I describe, um, PTSD as an injury of the behavior has a neurological basis, you know, a loud noise goes off. I hit the floor, whatever it is. Right. So there's a trigger and response. It's, it's much more complicated that, but at the basic, that's what it is. Um, traumatic brain injury, again, a very large, um, uh, issue with returning veterans is a a physical injury, right? I, I, I bruise my brain, I bruise my elbow, but you've mentioned it before about moral injury being an injury of the soul, right? And you can't medicate the soul. Um, you, you have to come to terms with it. There's, I, I boil it down to this idea is PTSD is a reaction to what happened, whereas moral injury is a reaction to why it happened.
1: That's great. That's great. And uh to quote my my buddy Anthony, he always uses uses this one. And it's really great. Is um he said PTSD is is what wakes me up in the middle of the night. And he said moral injury is what keeps me from falling asleep in the first place. So it's uh it's a nice um yeah, I really I really enjoy that. That makes makes it really clear.
0: So Now that you have learned about moral injury and, and, you know, and you talk about it a lot, um, how do you see the clinical community responding? Because I see it responding in a certain way, but I'm interested to hear your point of view.
1: Yeah. You know, I haven't really had um, too much interface with with too much of the uh, clinical community around moral injury. I think they they acknowledge it, um, but because it can't be, you know, it's not a, a clinical thing, um, I, I haven't really had too much experience with clinicians, you know, talk, getting in, in contact with me about it. But um, I have gotten a lot of response from the chaplaincy. You know, the, the chaplains um, have really, I feel, kind of taken it on and uh, are really there to kind of support. And they're, they're kind of like, this is our, our territory. <laughs> so um, that's been pretty interesting to see their response as well
0: and and i'm surprised i mean we're we're doing this by video and i can't imagine the look that just went across my face when nobody in the clinical community has reached out to someone who is as vocal as you are um and there are a number of us who recognize it right i mean there's you can get ptsd from any number of things you can get ptsd from natural disasters and and automobile accidents where necessarily neither of those have an element of moral injury um uh, ptsd from sexual assault absolutely has a component of moral injury too especially if it is more common as to be an acquaintance or a family member so it's a betrayal of not just a violation physically but there is this this idea of why um but uh But from my perspective as a veteran, and I recognize that, um, you know, well, you know, three combat tours, uh, two of them being significant. Well, yes, there's elements of PTSD. um, But my moral injury is around the fact that I gave permission for someone to go on a patrol that didn't need to go on the patrol and she subsequently died. Right. That's not PTSD. I was not there when that happened. Um, right. and, and arguably there were about 80 of us surrounding that situation who all believe we have 100% of the blame, um, and not being able to process that with a therapist who's just trying to do, as you said, EMDR isn't necessarily going to touch that because it's not a memory, it's a belief.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I have a similar situation, um, to that as well when my uh, platoon sergeant was killed in action i was i was given the day off and we would do this occasionally when we had non-essential missions we'd rotate a few guys out if we needed room in our vehicles or whatever and that day i got the day off and you know which didn't happen very often so you know i went around and did everything that i would do on on a day off which is like eat actual food in the chow hall and like, you know, laundry gym, gym go, and yeah, go, go, go on, uh, you know, go online and, and email and all that kind of stuff. And here I am enjoying myself and my platoon sergeant is, uh, you know, is was killed and I wasn't there. So, you know, for years and years I beat myself up about why, why did he die and why didn't I, you know, he had a family I didn't, you know, I deserve, I deserve to die. He didn't, um, these types of, of feelings I, I harbored in myself and it would just be like a real playing over and over and over again in my head. And, you know, what could I have done differently if I was out there? Which is, you know, looking at it from a perspective now, which is, you know, I, there's no, there's nothing I could have done um, in that situation. But that's not, you know, how we're, we're trained and we're kind of trained to sacrifice ourselves. You know, in the end, it's it's kind of like, you know, that's what we're there, to do is to support each other, the, the men and the women left to the left and the right of you. And, you know, if necessary, give our lives to protect them or to help them or, you know, so that was a, a big one for me that uh, I really tried to tackle when I was walking across the country and really um, process that.
0: See, and, and this is one of the things is, uh, you know, how do you do that? You know, survivor's guilt is what you were talking about and definitely what I experienced. It's different. Um, it, PTSD does not explain survivor's guilt. And, and as you said, um, the, the medication, you, you can't medicate away, um, uh, Moral injury any more than you can medicate a lack of meaning and purpose, this is another issue that a lot of veterans experience. Is, I don't feel like what i did what I'm doing now is as important as what I did. you were twenty one when you came home from war, spending the rest of your life walking backwards, staring at the high point of your life when you're twenty one right. that's that's it's pretty horrible and and I know and I'm certain sure you know veterans that are just like the best time of my life was when I was in the firefight and and so um, these ideas of of things beyond just PTSD and TBI and uh, and substance use and and, um, and emotional stuff with depression, anxiety these are all critical aspects of veteran mental health, and they have to be addressed. How are you seeing these other aspects addressed in the veteran community?
1: Well, I mean, there's I think there's you know there's two there's two pathways that I've kind of of witnessed is um, you know finding finding something to replace, um, that feeling, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, doing adrenaline sports or, you know, getting a, you know, when we got back from our deployment, like I think five or six of us ended up getting crotch rockets, you know, just immediately we're like, okay, we're just going to do this because it's like, you know, it gets you, gets you going, you get to a little danger in your life. And so like, I think that's one way. And some people do it with exercise. Some people do it with extreme sports, or, the path that I kind of took was like you know I ended up you know abusing a bunch of of alcohol and prescription medications and and different things like that to kind of mask uh, a lot of the experiences that I went through, so um, either way, I think you're 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 trying to just replace or mask over um, the actual traumatic events or the actual experiences. Um, with something, you know, external and it all really needs to, you know, be addressed by you and it, you have a saying, um, you know, what, what you resist persists in your life. So this stuff's not going to go away if you're not going to address it. It just, it's just going to keep compounding and manifesting itself in different ways in your life. And I think, um, you know, for, for the listeners out there, it's, you know, it's kind of a, you know, it's a it was a wake up call for me to be like, look, you have. I have to address it. Yeah, there's no other option.
0: So if um, if veterans are listening to this and they're like, you know, this this sounds, you know, right. What kind of resources do you usually point veterans to if they're wanting to learn more about veteran, about moral injury?
1: Um, well first of all I mean you can check out the documentary that I was in you can rent it on iTunes and uh, it's on Amazon as well it's like a couple bucks to rent it so that that can give you a good understanding of you know some of the stuff I've been talking about in a, you know in a more um interesting way so it follows me across the country my myself and Anthony um as we walk and we kind of um do this processing on camera and really try to be open and honest about our experiences. And on top of that, there are some really, uh, there's some, some good literature out there. I don't know if you've ever heard of, uh, the book, the body keeps the score. So yeah, it's a one that I'm sure a lot of people have heard of, but it's always nice to revisit that to really kind of get an understanding of how we process trauma, how we hold on to stress, how we, you know, uh, do these different things in our, in our lives. And, um, there's also uh, a lot of, uh, good books out there. I think, uh, one is called soul repair. Um, that's specifically about moral injury in combat.
0: Oh, that's great. And, uh, yes, I, I am a, a firm believer, believer of, uh, embodied emotion. It's, it's really what, uh, Levine is talking about there in, in the body keeps the score is how, how trauma is trapped physically in our body. You know, right. I'll, I'll ask veterans, you know, what does anger feel like? And they'll try to tell me what they think about anger or what the, you know, what the cognitive uh, and and people just aren't, aren't focused on how it physically feels. Um, and and this is one thing when it comes to, um, when it comes to, to walking, you know, as long as you did, but any kind of physical exercise, you're just too tired to be emotional about stuff, right? You just, you're so worn out that, that now you can access these, um, these memories and these thoughts because your body is just like, I, I just don't have the energy to cry anymore.
1: Right, right, and that's and that's when you can do some really good work. So whether it's walking, and uh, I, I, you know, the last couple of years I've really kind of dove into uh, the physical practice of yoga, meditation. Um, these types of things get at trauma and stress that have uh, have been stored in our bodies for our whole life. So it's not just um, it's not just an exercise, you know, it's it's an actual spiritual practice behind. Yoga and meditation that gets at things that we we can't really see, and like you said, um, a lot of people kind of disassociate from their from their bodies when they have extreme stress stress and trauma in their life. Um, so this is a way to get back into the body and really understand what's going on with within you. Because once you have an understanding of what's going on in your body and your mind, um, it gives you a clearer picture of of different ways of how I can address this and how I can move through it.
0: No, you're absolutely right. And not to say that you and I are going to change the army or the military in any way, but, uh, we don't really, it's push-ups, sit-ups, two-mile run, right? That's just the, the, the way that they do it. But understanding the, the benefits of the exercise. And as you said, the, the spiritual aspect or the, um, you know, the moral aspect, the soul aspect of, of physical fitness, um, it can definitely benefit. So if, uh, if people want to reach out, they want to maybe connect with you, learn more about, you know, maybe some of the things that you're doing or have a conversation, how can they find you online?
1: Uh, they can check out, um, I'm on Instagram at, uh, at the meditating vet. Um, you can find me on there and also, uh, Facebook as well. Um, just under, uh, the, the meditating vet should be pretty easy. Tom boss.
0: <laughs> I'll make sure to get both of those in the show notes. So. Um give you an opportunity to have a uh maybe a last thought or two before we sign off.
1: Yeah. I think it's uh really important, I mean, for us to really us I mean as a, the veteran community, um to really kind of go above and beyond to support each other and to compete to keep supporting each other. I know that, you know, when we're in service, that's you know, something that was really, you know, tight. We're really connected. We have a um, you know, I served with a lot of guys and you know some of them I didn't get along with some of them I got along with really well but at the end of the day you know we're all willing to lay our lives down for each other and I think that that mentality we need to carry over into the veteran community and really reach out to each other and make sure that we're doing okay you know buddy check I mean call call the people that you served with reach out to them online see how they're doing really we need to get this network moving and working and uh, supporting each other again, because I think the, uh, you know, the suicide epidemic that's going on right now is is really unacceptable and it's totally preventable. And I think, you know, unfortunately, it I think it's falling on us, the veteran community, to really take care of it, because, I mean, we're seeing a, a complete failure, I think, um, overall from from large entities. And I think that if we can, you know, if you can reach out to two or three people that you served with and two or three veterans that you know and you know, within your own bandwidth, you know, if you can you can do that and you know keep in contact with with uh, your brothers and sisters, I think I think we can make make progress with that.
0: No, you're you're absolutely right. And I appreciate that you brought that up with the uh the suicide epidemic. And it, it even goes to our conversation so far. Um, is, um, and I've said it often. Long time listeners know that if I walk in the doctor's office with a runny nose, I expect the doctor to tell me if it's the flu or allergies because they're going to treat those differently. Now, right. if I walk into a therapist's office and they say combat vet, all you are is PTSD and it's actually moral injury, then I'm treating the wrong condition. I'm right. not treating the thing that that needs to be treated and ultimately perhaps moral injury may be the thing that takes them to the point of suicide when they're getting all of the ptsd treatment they need
1: correct right
0: this has been great tom i I really appreciate you coming on the show and uh and i hope to have you back again sometime
1: yeah my my pleasure i'm happy to come back
0: You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. One of the terms that Tom mentioned in this episode is moral scaffolding. Scaffolding is the way that we integrate incoming information with information that we already have. We build what we learn on top of what we know. Scaffolding starts early in childhood, and we're taught about what's right and wrong from our home life, our peers, and sometimes our faith community, our culture at large. What Tom's talking about is how we learn things in combat that don't fit well with what we already know. For example, his buddy learned from an early age that we're supposed to help people that are hurt, but he learns from his patrol leader that he is not supposed to help people who are hurt when they have to get out the gate. Or Tom might have learned that he's supposed to be compassionate to others, especially if a mistake was made, like when the driver of the dump truck didn't stop but his platoon sergeant demonstrated how compassion is not always an automatic response. This is the key element of moral injury. What we believe to be right and wrong in the world has been changed by our experiences. doesn't mean that we're monsters. Tom also mentioned the writer David Wood in our conversation. In his book, What We Have Done, The Moral Injury of Our Longest Wars, Wood says this about moral injury. It does not mean that service members did something immoral. It means that they have violated their own sense of morality. I think Wood's explaining a key differentiation when it comes to moral injury. Maybe the violation occurred willingly, if unconsciously, or maybe it happened begrudgingly, like being ordered to move on and not help wounded casualties. Either way, the guilt and shame that we continue to carry around what was done or failed to be done can be as significant as the reactions to trauma. If you want to learn more about moral injury, take a look at the resources that we have on the Headspace and Tommy blog by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash moral injury. Thanks for taking the time to listen. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, go to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash HST115. If you want to show your support for the work we're doing, make sure to leave an honest rating and review on the podcast platform you're listening to. We're always looking for guests, either veterans or those who support them. You can drop me a line at info at VeteranMentalHealth.com to recommend guests, or you can go to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash guest to fill out a suggestion or request. Our thanks this month go to Give an Hour and the Campaign to Change Direction. Don't forget, we'll be joining them for the Week to Change Direction from June 9th through June 15th. If you want to see how you can too, go to changedirection.org.
2: A Week to Change Direction will happen anywhere and everywhere people and organizations want to be part of this change. Given Hour will provide toolkits with suggestions and ideas for how you or your organization can participate in a Week to Change Direction. Or you can create your own.
0: Just a reminder that the guests and information in this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be considered professional advice. While I am a therapist, I'm not your therapist. If something you've heard makes you think that you should talk to somebody, then reach out to do so. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his album Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Be on the lookout for another great episode, and until then, remember, veterans, you're not alone,
3: ever
2: the struggle is real found a feast and lost a
3: soul eventually my drinking it got out of control there in darkness i roam struggling to find home see suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day destination unknown it could have been avoided if you picked up the phone but now you're gone so i guess all we get is the tone nothing but bone weeds overgrown pushing up stones i've triumphed over enemies It's your